Jesus is not only our Savior, Jesus is not only the Son of God, but Jesus is a teacher who taught in such a way that we can be coached through life. He taught so we could take our life off a negative path and onto a positive path, off of a pathway that leads to destruction and onto a pathway that leads to fulfillment in life. So what does Jesus say about the power of our attitudes? What does Jesus say about how to create healthy relationships? What does Jesus say about how to spiritually connect with God so that His grace becomes the fuel in our life that empowers everything else that we do? Find out the answers to these questions and more in Gateway's new message series, Jesus, the Life Coach. Do you know there's an Arctic Dome or something, whatever that is, coming our way? Well, I just claimed the promises of God. He sends the sun. It's in the, we're going to read it today. God sends the sunshine on the just and the unjust. I don't know whether you're just or unjust, but I am claiming the sunshine to come to Alberta instead of an Arctic thing. So we're on Jesus the Life Coach. This is part two of a three-part series that we started last week. And we are looking at the subject, we're looking at what Jesus taught in his most famous sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It lasts a few chapters. It's in Matthew's Gospel. Starts, I think, in chapter five, four or five. And uh, it's worth reading through the whole thing sometime. It would only take you 15, 20 minutes to read the whole thing. And this is like Jesus' most succinct, most, most, um, how would I put it? This is like the essence of all the other stuff Jesus taught and put in to like one message. And so as we look at this, we are beginning to gain insight into the way Jesus thought. And in the Sermon on the Mount, we find out that Jesus doesn't really talk about heaven and hell and life after death and those kinds of stuff. Jesus is actually talking about life in the here and now. Now, we could talk about heaven and we could talk about uh, being saved and we could talk about life after death and we could go to other places in the Gospels where Jesus addressed those issues, but that's not what he was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is our teacher. He is coaching us through life. And last week, we started with the same topic that Jesus started with with the power of our attitudes. In the Bible, we call them the Beatitudes, which we saw was the beautiful attitudes or the be happy attitudes. Uh, these nine attitudes that we looked at last week that Jesus said that if you can adjust your inner attitudes, it will have an effect on your out, outer life. And I think it was really important that we started there and really important that Jesus started there because what I find very often in life and in the Christian church is that people they want to change, they want to improve, they want their life to go to the next level, they want to take another step forward in their faith or in relationships or in their career. 
or whatever it may be, but very often what people do is they try to find a program to do. It's almost like they try to, they, they, they see somebody else that's living the life that they want to live, and they think if they could only put on that person's clothing, they would be that person. But putting on that person's clothing doesn't mean you think like that person. And so sometimes we try to copy the outward actions of successful or happy or blessed or whatever people, but we still have the same stinking thinking and rotten attitude on the inside that is taking us to the wrong place. So last week I said that attitudes are like the fuel that you put in your tank. And if you have a gas car and you put gas in it, that fuel will cause your car to take you where you want to go. But if you have a gas car and you put diesel in it, then you're not going to get very far on the journey of life. And you might blame the car. You might blame the maker of the car. You might be upset that everybody else's car works, but your car doesn't work. But your car's got the wrong fuel in it. And if our lives are fueled by negative, dysfunctional, unhealthy, destructive attitudes... Our life won't go very far. You can blame your life. You can blame the bad hand that life has dealt you. You can blame the manufacturer, the maker of your life. You can blame God. You can blame other people. Or you can stop putting diesel in your tank. And you can start fueling your life with healthy positive, life-giving attitudes. And that will then be the fuel that guides your outward behavior. So that was what we looked at last week. This week, we're now beginning to look at our outward behavior. And today, we are going to be looking at what Jesus taught about the subject of healthy relationships. Healthy relationships. And it's quite interesting because... Um, today, if you said anything about, you know, if you were going to buy a book about relationships or you were going to read an article or watch a video or something about relationships, first of all, the word relationship has been reduced to just meaning romantic relationships nowadays. You know, are you in a relationship? Yes, I have met other human beings. Okay. Right? Changing my status to inner relationship. What, you were on a desert island before that? You know, relationships are every interaction that we have with other human beings. And um, Jesus gave us wisdom principles that apply in all sorts of areas of our life. You know, uh, you know, m- m- maybe there is the occasional school that does this, but you know, the education system that we have is not really designed to create healthy individuals. It's designed to create employees. Okay, the education system is designed to create employees. And a lot of what you learn is a waste of time. Algebra comes to mind. So a lot of that, right? 
Wouldn't it be great if schools taught kids how to balance a checkbook? How to develop healthy relationships, how to overcome your low self-esteem so that you're able to interact with people in a healthy manner, wouldn't that get you ahead in life way more than algebra would? I've been to interviews for jobs before. No one has ever asked me a question about algebra, ever. But they're interested in whether I can get involved with other people, whether I'm good at teamwork, whether relationships are a strong element. So relationships are, this is not, this is, you know, Jesus didn't do what a lot of people would do today. Um, You want a happy marriage? Here's a book, Five Steps for a Happy Marriage. Because everybody's the same, every marriage is the same, and if everybody does these five steps, they'll all get the same result. You know, that's kind of like what we do with relationships today. Um, And so, uh, and, and in fact, even when it comes to business relationships, very often, Instead of being taught to develop genuine relationships with the customer or the client or, or whatever, we're taught to be fake. How to be fake. Yeah, I've listened to, I've listened, I know some of you have, and I've listened to all the teachings on how to mirror people in order to build empathy. In other words, how to trick people into thinking you're actually interested in them when you're not remotely interested in the, in the I mean, there's all these techniques. Breathe the same way they do. If they sigh, you sigh. And the person thinks, oh, this person really gets me. No, they learned it in a seminar. It's fake, right? That's not a healthy relationship. Jesus teaches us that there are principles that will apply in all relationships. Romantic relationships, family relationships, friendships, workplace relationships, how you relate with people that don't like you and mistreat you. What about enemies? How do you relate to enemies? And Jesus gave us six principles. We're going to put them up here just now. Here are six principles. Now, in a moment, we're going to go through the passage and we're going to see these six principles, but I just want to talk about them here just now. Six ingredients for healthy relationships. And I want you to notice that none of these principles are very specific to a specific situation. And again, I find that today, like, see if you're, let's say self-help books. You know, you go, you go to a bookstore or you go on Amazon and you're looking for a self-help book and something. I like older self-help books rather than newer ones. Because I find that very often the newer ones are giving you a formula. You want to change this in your life? Do A, B, C, and D. And you have to follow this formula exactly or it doesn't work, you know? And maybe the formula worked for that person, but you're not that person. But when I read some of the older kind of self-help books, you know, like Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. There's a good book on relationships. If you suck at it, I would buy that book, right? And so... uh, What these old guys used to teach was not specific advice for situation. It wasn't knowledge. It was wisdom. 
You see, knowledge applies to, if you've got knowledge about something, you can only apply it to the thing you've got knowledge about. But wisdom is taking a step back and seeing universal principles that apply in lots of ways. And Jesus was a wisdom teacher. And much of the Sermon on the Mount is very similar to the wisdom in the book of Proverbs. And here are six of the ingredients that Jesus spoke about if we want to have healthy relationships with anybody. Peaceableness. Be peaceable. In other words, avoid drama. Avoid drama. And don't get into drama yourself and don't let other people pull you into their drama. Do you know that if, you, if you've ever taken a, um, a course in being a lifeguard or something like that, they, one of the things that you are taught is to be very careful because a drowning person wants to drown you as well, okay? You're there trying to rescue the drowning person and they're pulling you under the water and so there's certain ways to approach them and to hold them in such a way that you are not drowned along with them. And you know, God wants us to be compassionate. He wants us to help other people. He wants us to be involved in their life. But be careful that an emotionally drowning person is not going to drown you as well. Don't get drawn into dramas. When I was younger, I used to get drawn into dramas so much. And then I remember one time being involved in a drama that was so totally exhausting that I decided... As from today, I don't do drama anymore, okay? I don't do it anymore. You can have a drama if you want. I'll sit and watch you and I'll wait till it's over, but I'm not doing the drama because it becomes a big conflict and an emotional upheaval. But relationships are only healthy when they're based on inner peace and peaceableness with others. Remember the Beatitudes last week? Blessed are the peacemakers. So we'll look at that in a minute. Faithfulness. We've just sang about how faithful God is. And you know, he calls us to be faithful people as well. I do not understand people who cannot keep their word. Like it's their own reputation that they're destroying. Uh, You know, like if you've made a promise to do something, be faithful to it. If circumstances in life have changed in some way, find some other way to be faithful to it or somebody else to play your part or something like that. But if you want to build healthy relationships, being unfaithful to that person or to your commitments is not a way to build a healthy, strong, lasting relationship. So faithfulness, not fickleness, you know, it's not, um, yeah, yeah, let's do this, I'm part of it, I'm behind you all the way. Oh yeah, but tomorrow morning I might wake up and feel different and not want to do it after that. So the next one, clarity, clarity, not vagueness, not not like uh, well, I don't want to make a commitment, so I'll word something in such a vague way that it sounds like I'm interested, and it will will lure the person into believing that I'm in, but actually I'm not interested in the slightest. But I didn't lie, because I worded it all very carefully. It was so vague, nobody knew what I was saying. Clarity. 
I like straight shooters. They might hurt your feelings occasionally, but at least you know where you stand. Forgiveness, because everybody that you know is going to hurt you at some point in your life. And if you don't learn the art of forgiveness, you are going to be a festering emotional wound your entire life. Generosity, be a giving person. You know, don't, you know, a relationship is not based on one person giving and the other one taking. People like generous people. People like people with generous hearts. You might not have money to give, but have you got time to give? Have you got encouragement to give? Have you got some prayers to give? You can give a smile, you know. Let's be generous. And then, of course, tolerance. Because we, we all judge ourselves based on other people. People who are who have got their life more together than we have, well, they're just fanatics, for goodness sake. They need to lighten up a bit. And people who have got their life less together than we have, well, we judge them, you know. But anybody could do that at any stage. You do not have, and when I say tolerance, I am talking about the dictionary definition of tolerance. Not the social media definition of tolerance. The social media definition of tolerance is, do you agree with every thought I have? And do you approve of every lifestyle decision I make? No, not really. (gasps) You're so intolerant! That's not even what the word means. The very fact that you have to tolerate it means you don't like it, right? (laughs) The very fact that you have to tolerate something means you don't agree with it. Tolerance is not when you agree and validate everything that someone believes or everything they do. That's not tolerance. Tolerance is when you say, I don't agree with everything you think or everything you do. However, it's your life, not mine, (laughs) and I will tolerate it. I might not celebrate it, but I will tolerate it. Tolerance, the word tolerance only makes sense. It's like the word, it's like the word forgiveness. You know, you say, you say, you need to forgive that person, but they don't deserve to be forgiven. That's why it's called forgiveness. If they deserved it, you wouldn't need to forgive them. Okay? And if you agreed with everything, you wouldn't need to be tolerant of them. Now, Jesus goes through in the Sermon on the Mount a whole list of things about relationships, and he covers these six points. So I want to read it now. It's quite a long passage, but stick with me. We're going to go through it one section at a time. So let's go to the next slide. Let's start with peaceableness. Jesus said, you have heard that you must not murder If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. That's like the Ten Commandments. You shall not commit murder. But I say to you, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of destruction. Now, remember what Jesus spoke about last time, about attitudes. This is what he's saying here. Like, see, you don't want to commit murder, okay? But actually, 
it doesn't start with the outward act of committing murder. It starts with the anger that you have towards that person in your heart. And so he's saying, don't, like, if you, if, you, if you don't want to be led all the way to murder, get some inner peace inside. Deal with this lack of peace. Deal with this anger, this irritation, this frustration that is bubbling up and causing you to make that person your enemy. You know, it says here, if you call someone an idiot, you're in danger. Like, when I read that, I thought, oh my goodness, I'm in trouble here. So... So I looked up the, the original word, because some, uh, some translations put the Aramaic word, if you call somebody raka, well, what does that mean? It actually means more than an idiot, and this is, this is a better translation. If you speak to somebody or treat them as if they have no value as a human being. Now, let's go to an extreme. People that commit murder are saying that person's life has no value. People who traffic human beings are saying those people's lives have no value as human beings. Now that's at the extreme, but do we sometimes treat people as if we think they have no value? Or are we able to make peace? Let's read on. Jesus said, we better read on. He said, so if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple... And you suddenly remember that someone has something against you. Leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Now you might think, no, but they've got something against me. That's their job to come. I'm going to be stubborn. Stubbornness wasn't one of the six characteristics of healthy relationships. Okay? And so Jesus is saying here, be reconciled. Get, listen, see if there's turmoil between you and somebody else. Be reconciled with them. I know it's not always possible, but the Apostle Paul wrote it this way. He says, as much as it is within your power, live at peace with all people. As much as it is within your power, live at peace with all people. Let's read on the next bit. And he says, and if you're on your way to court, and when you're on your way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer who will throw you into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you've paid the last penny. Now, sometimes you will find yourself in situations where you're wanting to defend your cause. You're wanting justice. You no, don't want to give in. And you're going to fight this long battle. And sometimes by doing that, you end up making your life miserable for a long time. But you don't want to give in. You say, but I'm right. I'm right and they're wrong. I'm, I'm not going to make a deal with them. I'm right and they're wrong. And if I make a deal with them, I'll be unhappy about that. I'll sit here fuming about it. Yeah, you might sit there fuming about it for a few days. But isn't that better than like three years later, you're still dealing with this thing? And this, you know, I, let me just tell you a very personal situation. 
that I experienced this one time. And it was, I, uh, I, I had been a single parent for a few years. Then I got married to Christine. And, and so I had my two sons. I was a single parent. And she became their stepmother. And then we had uh, Rebecca. And she was a baby. And then my boy's mother, seven years later, uh, decided she wanted custody of of the boys. And so this, we got this lawyer's letter. Well, when I read this lawyer's letter, and it was all in legal speak, which is designed to put fear into your heart, I immediately thought, you know, batten down the hatches, you know, um, get, the, get the war armor on, you know, we're going to have to go to war here. And, and, and spoke to my lawyer about fighting this with everything in our power and all of that kind of stuff. And this whole hostile situation situation began. And I thought I was doing the right thing. I was protecting my children and protecting my family and everything was going to get disrupted and it wasn't right and blah, blah, all this kind of stuff. I, you know, my motives were right, but I got into this drama which caused me to lose my peace, which caused me to get into this big court case a year and a half And tens of thousands of dollars later, I wished I had taken Jesus' advice. In fact, I remember one day, halfway through it, praying and saying, and you know, I've heard people say that they argued with God, and I'd never done that ever, but this time I did. I remember praying one night and saying, it's not fair. (laughs) It's just not fair. I don't understand this. Why have you allowed this to happen? You know? Like Adam and Eve, Adam says, it was the woman you gave me. And Eve says, it was the serpent, you know. And so, why have you allowed, and then I'm praying, is this the devil? Is the devil attacking me? Is this persecution? And and, uh, how come the devil got in? And, And then as clear as a bell, a thought drifted up from deep down inside and said, it wasn't me that created this mess, it was you. And it was so strong, I argued with God. And I said, I never did. I didn't do anything. I was just getting on with my life. No, 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 no. If you had taken the advice on the Sermon on the Mount and made peace with your adversary before it went to court, but no, you were too stubborn. You were going to stand in your corner. You were going to... Folks... Sometimes it's a choice between being right and being happy. And can I advise you, happiness and inner peace is a much more important quality of life to pursue. Let's read on. Let's keep going. Um, uh, Faithfulness. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart, and his imagination. So if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole life to be. You do realize this is a figure of speech, right? We're not hardcore fundamentalists who say, oh, okay then. <laughs> Pass the offering basket and we will. <laughs> you know, this is a figure of speech. Jesus is saying, 
If you are being tempted to be unfaithful to your spouse in this case, or to be unfaithful in any situation, deal with it at the root. Dig it out from the root. Deal with those inner attitudes that are fueling your life and taking you down the wrong path. Um, he says, and if your hand, uh, uh, if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. He's hearkening back to the if you're angry with somebody in your heart, it will lead you to eventually lift a murderous hand to them. If you're lustful in your heart, it will lead you to, to eventually, if you're looking at someone with lust, to go and commit adultery with them for then you to lose your whole life. Let's read on. Let's keep going. Uh, you have heard that a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. That was the rule in those days. A woman couldn't divorce her husband. She had no power in the situation. And the man could just write a certificate of divorce and say, you're divorced. And that was all they needed to do. And the woman had no power in it. And Jesus says here, but I say to you, that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, makes her the victim of adultery. You know, Jesus is saying here, be faithful. Be faithful. Let's read on. Next one. Clarity, not vagueness. You have also heard that you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say to you, do not make any vows. Just say a simple, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. You know, when we try to cover our backs and make sure, you know, it, it, it's all conniving. You know, but I remember when we moved to Canada and we moved here, uh, we moved into the street that we still live in. And I remember two situations. I remember a neighbor came, uh, we were out, the first few days we were there, we were out in the driveway, and a neighbor came over and said, oh, hi, I'm your neighbor, nice to see you. We'll, I'll give you a few days to, to settle in, and then we'll get you around for a glass of wine and get to know one another. I said, that would be great. Well, 11 years later, I'm still waiting for that glass of wine. <laughs> it's like, don't say it if you're not going to do it. You know, taking, connecting this one, keep your word with the last one, be faithful to the relationships that you have. There, there's someone I know, a woman who has a ministry, she's an author, a teacher, uh, she was a student in a course that I took once. So I know her, I don't know her husband, but I knew that her husband was like a pastor in, a, in some denominational church. I saw a photograph and he had the white collar thing on. So in some kind of denominational church, and that was all I knew about him. Anyway, she sent me a message just last week to say, can you keep me in prayer? Out of the blue, my husband just said to me, well, we've had a good 30 years run, but I'm not really as happy as I used to be in the marriage. So let's just call it a day. I said, like, is he having an affair? She says, not as far as I know, not. And I mean, my thought was, what a complete wimp. What? I mean, that's not a man. A man keeps his word. A true man keeps his word. And here is a guy who made a vow before God to be faithful to his wife, and he's broken that, and he's a pastor. He can't even keep a vow he made before God. People, 
clarity. Next one. Um, you have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you in the right cheek, turn the other cheek to them uh, also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, Carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. I need to clarify this a little bit. But because people sometimes take Bible verses in a woodenly literal manner, I have heard this passage used to, for all kinds of things. Like you should just be abused. You should just let people abuse you. Well, I believe that God loves his children. And I believe that God wants his children to be emotionally healthy. And I don't, want, I don't believe that God wants you to be abused. Would you want your children to be abused? Well, if you wouldn't want your children to be abused, how much more will your Father in heaven? This is an attitude that, that Jesus is talking about here. He's not saying, you know, just allow yourself to be abused. I remember, I told you a story about one of my sons last week, the one that used to beat up kids in the nursery. Uh, my other son, he wasn't quite so quick to beat people up. And he was at, in primary school in the UK, which would be like elementary school here. And um, he was being bullied by a kid at the school. Every recess and lunchtime, this kid was hitting them and bullying them and even hitting them in the head with stones and things like that. And he was really upset and he didn't want to go to school and I called the school and he didn't do anything about it. So after about three times of the school not doing anything about it and my son coming home and he was really upset and he was crying and he didn't want to go to school and he was being bullied. Now, I could have been some kind of jerk of a legalistic Christian and said, just turn the other cheek. But I never did that. Christine and I sat him down and we said, listen, don't you ever, 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 ever start a fight. But see if that bully hits you again, beat the crap right out of him. <laughs> so the next day we got a call from the school. And the principal was very upset that the bully had had the crap beat right out of him. And I said, well, you wouldn't deal with it. So we told him to deal with it himself. Now, I know it might sound like I am totally contradicting that scripture, but I was not going to allow my child to be abused day after day after day and his self-esteem be crushed and broken more and more and more until he becomes a dysfunctional, unhealthy person. That's not what it's saying. It is if you take a few words literally, but it's a whole um, attitude it's describing. And it, it, those three words, do not resist, is what, is what it's all about. This is a really deep psychological insight. You know, the psychologist Carl Jung is famous for making this statement. After examining thousands and thousands of patients, he made this statement, what you resist persists. What you resist persists. He found out that when he had patients that were unhappy about being treated in a certain way, and they resisted it, they resisted it emotionally, they resisted it mentally, they resisted it verbally, they resisted it every day, 
all it did was create even more of a drama and prolong that thing much longer than possible. But the people who, who said, yeah, that thing happened to me. It shouldn't have happened. You know what? Whatever. I'm going to let it go. I'm not going to let it bother me. I'm going to let it go. The people that stopped all the emotional and verbal and energetic resistance and just let it go, the problem solved itself out. And what Jesus is saying here is don't become one of these resistors, you know? You know, a politician gets voted in that you don't like, so the next thing you're protesting, we are the resistance! We are the resistance! What does it do? It gives the politician even more airtime on the television. What you resist persists, okay? And there is, there, there is power in letting it go and not trying to, uh, to, be, to, to, to get vengeance or justice. There's power in forgiveness. Let's read on. Um, and he's saying there, you know, love your enemies. Uh, pray for those who persecute you. You're not going to change them by arguing with them, but you might change them by praying for them. Why? That way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. He gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. The laws of, of the universe apply to everybody. If I was to step off this platform right now, what would happen to me? Hmm? I would fall to the ground. Why? What's causing that to happen? A law. What law? If I was a very good person and I stepped off there, what would happen to me? If I was a very bad person and I stepped off there, what would happen to me? It doesn't matter whether I'm a good person or a bad person. The law works for everybody. And you know, if you will take these... Uh, wisdom principles of relationships, it doesn't matter what your past has been like. You may have been a good person. You may have been a bad person. You may have been healthy. You may have been unhealthy. You may have had good relationships. You may have had dysfunctional relationships. The laws work for everybody. The same sunshine and rain fall on everybody. And so he's saying there, treat people, treat everyone the same. Forgive people. Don't just love the people that are nice to you. Even corrupt people people do that. But you are to be mature, even as your Father in heaven is mature. Next one, please. Generosity. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by people. That's called virtue signaling. Okay? I want everyone to know how virtuous I am. You know, don't do your good deeds to be admired by others, for you, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do it as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and on the streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they've received the only reward they'll ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. A part of a healthy person is that they are a generous person. And a, a generous person, that's what forms healthy relationships. My last point is tolerance. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. I mean, like, it's really simple, isn't it? Don't plant weeds in your garden and weeds won't grow. 
don't plant judgmentalism in your life and you won't reap a harvest of judgmentalism. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. A long time ago, I decided I'm just going to give everybody grace because when I get to heaven and stand before the Lord, if the standard I use to judge others is the standard, I, I want to have a very liberal standard, okay? And so he said, why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Sometimes we are so bothered, so irritated, so determined to fix what other people, what's wrong in other people's lives. And what Jesus is saying here is, deal with yourself. True spirituality is not you trying to change the world, it's you opening up to God and letting God change you. Start with the man in the mirror. And when you look at that person in the mirror, that's the person that you need to change. And so tolerance. Let's put up our seven points again as we, as we finish off. The six ingredients for healthy relationships at, at home, with friends, at work, at church, with strangers, with enemies, is peaceableness. Be a peacemaker. Try to, don't get involved in drama. Faithfulness. Keep your promises. Clarity. Be a straight shooter. Let people know where they stand. See if somebody invites you to, to do something. See if you get an invitation to some event. Don't click maybe. Nobody knows what that means. Yes, I'm going, or no, I'm not going. But maybe or interested is like the coward's way out. I don't want to go, but I don't want to be clear about it either. Forgiveness, because there'll be lots of people to forgive. Generosity and tolerance, because that is the way that God wants us to be. And in fact, you could sum all of that up and all of those passages we've read up in one verse. Here's how Jesus concluded. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. Well, I'd like people to give me a million dollars. That's what I would like people to do for me. I would like people to be generous to me, wouldn't you? I would like people to be nice to me. I would like somebody to let me in on the Anthony Hendy. You know, do unto others as you would like them to do unto you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Come on, stand up. We're going to pray together today. I want us to stand up. I want us to make a decision right now that we are going to take a step off of the path of dysfunctional, unhealthy relationships and onto the path of positive, healthy, functional relationships. So, can I encourage you, lift up your hands to God. We're going to pray together. Let's say together, in the name of Jesus, I renounce all unforgiveness, phoniness, and shallowness. I will not take offense, get involved in drama, or sabotage my blessings. 
in any way. May my life and all my relationships blossom, flourish, and bear good fruit. In Jesus' name, amen.